but you're going to be glad you came this morning. I'm going to share with you a profound theological fact. Psalm 1 is the first psalm. Nobody took notes on that. I'm surprised. You say, well, that's a blinding flash of the obvious. Why would you tell us that? Because it matters that Psalm 1 is the first psalm. Now, when you look at the book of Psalms, the Psalter, you realize that nobody sat down and said, okay, we're going to write 150 of these things, and we're going to write the first one and then write the second one. No, this book, this book, these 150 Psalms were gathered over a period of almost a millennium. The first Psalm, Psalm 90, the first written Psalm, was written by Moses back around 1400 B.C. And the last Psalm, Psalm 73, the last one chronologically, at least that we, we can peg, was written during the uh, Babylonian captivity around 500 B.C. So you're looking at almost like around 900 years of span. And over the years, as these various psalms, these various songs were written, people used, the Jews used them in their worship. Some of them are worship songs. They're deep theology. And just as we sang some songs this morning that were more uh, geared toward worship, they were more solemn. And then we sang a couple of songs that were geared more toward praise. Made you want to stand up and shout, and they were lighter and, and, and moved and that kind of thing. And so we find in this Psalter these various expressions of love and adoration and dependence on God. They were gathered at the five books, five separate books, and then most scholars believe, or many scholars believe, that at the end, about the end of the Old Testament era, a scribe named Ezra, if you read the book of Ezra, put them in its sort of its final form and wrote Psalm 1 as a gateway to the Psalms, as an introduction to the Psalms. Because what we find as we read these Psalms, or we read some Psalms that, that, that focus on meaning, on stability, on what, what does it mean to be a child of God? Uh, what should I believe? What should I proclaim? What, what's the core of my life? And we read those psalms, those kind of psalms, those psalms that give us a sense of meaning, a sense of connectedness with God. And we say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad somebody wrote that psalm, and I'm glad somebody felt that way, but I have to tell you honestly, that's not my story. And people say, I, I, I wish, I long for that sense of stability, of rootedness that I read in some of these psalms, but that's someone else's song. Now, I could sing it, but it's not really my song. We read others that talk about significance, people making a difference in other people's lives, people who share wisdom, the sages. Uh, we read in the psalms of, of men and women who, who, who contribute to others' lives, who would be sorely missed if they passed away. And we read those psalms, some of us, and we say, you know, I, boy, I wish I had that kind of ministry, that kind of knowledge, that kind of wisdom, so that when people came to me with questions and needs, that, that, that I, I could have that kind of, of a response. That kind of, but, you know, I find I don't. So I read those psalms, and I long for them, but it's not true of my life. 
Or, or, or we read psalms of consistency, psalms of dependence on God. People whose lives, they go up and down, they, they're happy, they're sad, they're confident, they're scared. But I read it like Psalm 3, where David at one point in the psalm is, is crying out to God, rescue me, save me. My, my enemies are hot on my trail. They want to kill me. Then the next verse says, I laid down and went to sleep. You say, you know, in the tough times in my life, I lay awake at night, I fret, I worry. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish my life was more consistent instead of the peaks and the valleys and all this turmoil in my life. I see the psalmist going to God and finding peace. I, 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 I appreciate that. You say, I, I read that. Many people say, but that's not the, I'm a Christian. I go to church. But I have to confess, that's not my story. And so many of these psalms, we read about God's, about especially David, and in the psalms of ascent, these psalms that, 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 that lift up the heart toward God, and they praise God, and they love God, and they appreciate God. We read those psalms, and we say, oh, I, I, I just don't feel it. So Psalm 1 is a gateway to the Psalms. If you want to read the Psalms, you can start anywhere. If you want to experience the Psalms, you have to enter through the gateway. Because the psalmist said, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But her delight is in Yahweh's teachings, in the Torah of the Lord. And in God's teachings, in God's ethic, in God's wisdom, in God's Torah, she meditates day and night. And so, this person will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season. His leaf does not wither, and whatever she does, prospers. That's pretty cool. That's what the Psalms and all of God's Torah teach us how life can be. This first phrase, how blessed is the person. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. The word blessed is a, it's a good translation. It's close to, to what we can get. Other translations say happy is the person. The word is ashrei ha'ish, how Something is the man. How something is the person. What does this word mean, this word ashray? Now, now when, when the Bible talks about God doing something supernatural in our life, when, God, when it says in Genesis 12 that God blessed Abraham, it says God blessed Job, God blessed Noah, blessed are those. That's a work of God in our life that is 
easily recognizable as God is doing something out of the ordinary. And that's a valid concept, but that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Psalm 1 is what we refer to as a wisdom psalm. Psalm 1 reads more like Proverbs. It's the result of this action produces that. How happy, how fulfilled, how enriched. That's what ashray means. Is the person who. And then he's going to lead us on into a brief synopsis of what it takes to be a person who says, I feel my life is fulfilled. I feel my life is happy. My life is content. I put my head on my pillow at night, and in those few minutes in the silence, when there's nobody to impress, I lay there and I say to myself, it's good. Life's working. It's good to be alive. I could want more. Who doesn't? But I'm content. My life is turmoil. It's in chaos at times. But I'm comfortable. I'm secure. I could do more. I guess anybody could do more. But you know, it's a good day. I did something good. Ashrei Ha'ish. Happy, settled, contented, satisfied is the person. Now, our culture is on a breakneck quest to find ashray. Some are looking for it in a bottle. Some are looking for it in a needle. Some are looking for it in a catalog. Some are looking for it in obsessive activity. But what we've discovered is you can't buy enough junk to fill an empty life. You can't drink enough. Oh, yeah, you escape with a needle or a bottle. But you always have to come back. And the psalmist says, I want to tell you how to have a life that you don't need a bottle or a needle or a catalog or a checkbook or or a porn site. This works. Because it's the teaching from God himself. The one who created you to have a life of ashray, fulfillment, contentedness, joy, happiness, security. He's teaching you how to live that life he created you to live. So he said the first thing that characterizes this person who is blessed, who is happy, who is fulfilled, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers or scoffers. Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This kind of person, when they need advice, when they're confused, when they're looking for help, they don't go to the ungodly. They don't seek out wisdom from Places other than, first of all, going to God and godly people. People who get it. People who live by a biblical ethic. People who live by Torah from God. 
Now, it's difficult, almost impossible to escape the counsel of the ungodly, isn't it? When you watch any TV, the commercials that are telling you what you need to buy to be happy, what you need to watch to be happy, who you need to associate with to be happy, you say, you know, that's pretty attractive stuff. I've tried a lot of it doesn't work. The person who is contented, the ashray person, does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, does not go to the places where they are tempted to do things that the Bible says we shouldn't do, to live a destructive life, does not walk with those who do things that are contrary to a lifestyle that ends up in ashray. Once again, that's difficult. Our world has a, walks to a different drumbeat. Many of us have close friends. Does it mean we should not associate with anybody but Christians? Absolutely not. Our calling is to make a difference in the world. Chris, my older son, came home from a party one night. He's telling me all the stuff that's going on in his high school party. And, and uh, I, I said, how do you deal with that? And he said, you know, Dad, I want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, a thermometer just goes up and down with the temperature. A thermostat changes the temperature. And when I'm at these parties, I can make a difference. I thought, <laughs> You should be the preacher, and I should be your kid. <laughs> yeah. So this isn't calling for isolationism. It's saying we do not walk in their path. We encourage them by modeling and by teaching and being a source of encouragement and wisdom to be there when they need us so that we are setting the pace. Does not walk in the council of the God, or sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffer is one who mocks, who, oh, you're one of those religious people. Oh, you, you really believe that stuff? And they find it kind of amusing. And this, we don't become those who scoff at other Christians who may be different than we are. You notice a gradual intensification here. Does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. You're walking in the mall, you see something in the window, you stand there, and next thing you know, you're sitting in there trying it on. Gradual intensification of identification with. The first is a person who is characterized by wickedness. The second one is known as a sinner. The third one is a scoffer. And it just seems to be the more a person gets into the lifestyle, the more they adopt it, the more they embrace it. And so he said the first thing that characterizes is they are, they are zealous about their holiness. They are zealous about their life. They carefully guard what goes into their mind? What goes into their heart? They carefully guard. They watch over their tongue. They watch over their hands. They watch over their feet. They're careful about how sarcastic they are and how negative they are and, 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 and how superior they sound. Their attitude, their stance against or 
their view of people who don't agree with them. They're not nasty, condescending mockers and ridicule. You see what I'm talking about? So you know, this, the first thing this, that, that, about this person whose life is characterized by joy and fulfillment is they just avoid evil in any form. Beautiful picture. And then, after the negative, be careful what you expose yourself to. He says, here's what you should expose yourself to. But this person's delight is in the law of the Lord, in the teaching of Torah. Now, to delight means they, they, they appreciate it, they crave it, they want it. They, 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 are, they are drawn to it. They're delighted. I, first time I, I read this, I thought, well, now what delights me? Are there parts, parts of the Bible I'm really not very delighted in? I mean, I read, you know, you go through the Bible and you're doing fine. You get up to Leviticus where you're talking about the pots and pans and the stuff in the temple and you say, oh boy, is that exciting. I don't delight in that. And I feel guilty. It says I'm supposed to delight in the law of the Lord. Or I get into the book of Hebrews. It's heavy theology. I read about Daniel's horny beasts, and I say, what do you do with those things? And, I, you know, delight in the law of the Lord? And, and I really felt guilty for a long time. And and but more I thought about it, I thought, you know, this isn't talking about individual Bible passages that give us problems or that are boring. I probably shouldn't say that for the pulpit, but... If you've read this thing, you know there's some real exciting stuff, and there's some yawners in here. So you don't delight in it all. But what he's talking about is overall the teaching, the ethical code, the process of life that God teaches, the Torah, the teaching that is contained in this book that comes from God. What's amazing is Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness so that we can be fully equipped to do God's work. This book is one of the most valuable things on this planet. If I go home today and my refrigerator isn't working and I got meat in the freezer, you know what the most valuable book I need right now? A book on freezer repair. But when I go out into the world and I face life and I'm trying to create a life that's productive and secure and happy and stable, this is the book. This is my freezer repair book right here. And he said, with this, this person, first of all, they're very careful about what they don't do, but they are equally careful about what they do do. Just, just think about this ethic, this teaching that's in here. Uh, I'm just giving an illustration from the Old Testament. On, on May 1st, I was reading Proverbs 1, just a few weeks ago. And I read this phrase, for why the Proverbs are written. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. May 2, I was reading Proverbs chapter 2, and I came across these words in Proverbs chapter 2. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Ha! Well, I picked up my phone, dialed my son's number. said, Chris, you ain't going to believe what I was just reading. He says, Dad, I don't care what you're reading. It's 4.30 in the morning. Call me later. <laughs> so I called him later, and I said, Chris, you know, we have these conversations. You have three, three sons. 
you're married. You have your own business, and Mel has her own business, and you have clients, and you have employees. And a lot of the times when you call and we talk and we're just processing life, what we're trying to figure out as you deal with your kids, as you deal with each other as, as, as in your marriage, as you try to deal, how do you deal with this pain in the neck client? How do you deal with this employee who's really in trouble? And what you're asking is, what I want to know is what is right? What's just? What's fair? Any parents out there? Grandparents out there? Did you have to figure that one out for your kids? Do you know what an incredible human being you would be if you could figure out in case after case, what's right? What's just? What's fair? Wow. People will be beating a path to your door. And that's just one of hundreds of things. Or you go to the New Testament where Jesus said to the disciples, you got to forgive each other. And Peter says, well, how many times I got to forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. He said, put your calculator away, Peter. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. What that means is, it could mean a person offends you time and time again, and you forgive. It also means, uh, maybe this isn't your experience, it's my experience. Somebody hurts me, does something unfair, unjust, whatever. I have two options. I can retaliate, get a two-by-four and go rearrange their head. That's the first impulse. The other is to forgive them. To forgive them. To forgive them. And so I forgive them, and I feel better. Wake up the next morning, I'm mad all over again. So what do I do? Forgive them again. Until God sinks through the concrete, and I can deal with it. Martin Luther said, a man who will not forgive is like a man who drinks poison, thinking it will kill his enemy. Forgiveness is a gift we can give to others. But forgiveness is a wonderful gift God gave to us. How do we deal with the rage? How do we keep these things that people do to us from turning us into what we talked about Naomi last week. She even forgave God. <laughs> she became better, not bitter. What a wonderful gift. And the New Testament is full of teachings like that. How blessed is the person who delights in God's teaching and meditates on it day and night. And this whole idea of meditating, saying, I spend time with it. I, I deal with it. I don't know how many times I've read Proverbs. I wrote a commentary on Proverbs before I was old enough to write a smart one. <laughs> but I, I, I spent hours and hours, the Hebrew and the Septuagint and all that stuff on Proverbs. And here I am, 79 years old, and I read Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Or I saw it in a different way. I don't know what is right and just and fair. It takes time. 
to let that go from here to here. The meditation is I, I, I think about it. I chew on it. I say, okay, I memorized the thing and I can quote it. But do I live it? Is it part of my DNA? Is it so deep in my heart that I can't imagine violating it? Delight in Yahweh's teaching. And meditate on it day and night. And verse 3 says, and so, and don't miss that, and so she will be like a tree. You say, oh, more, all my life, that's what I've wanted to do, be like a tree. Well, no, this is poetry. He's not saying you're going to be like a tree. You'll, be, you, you'll have some characteristics of a certain tree. First of all, it's planted by streams of water, which talks about stability. This is a, it, it, the, the, the image is, is a, a, a channel of water that was particularly brought to this tree to irrigate it. It's a tree whose roots are deep in the earth, has stability. It's planted by its source of nut- nutrition and its source of strength. And when the winds come, the floods come, this tree stands firm because its roots are deep in the earth. I inherited 150 rose bushes, the first, my first job, and, and I didn't know anything about roses, so I started reading books on roses. And one of the things it says about watering roses is you have to water them deeply. If you water them shallowly, the water just goes down to kind of the top, and the roots go to where the water is. And if you just water them every day a little bit, the roots will go here. If you water them deeply, and then you don't water them for a few days, the ground dries up here, and so the roots go down to where the moisture is. Aren't you glad you came? People taking notes on that one. But this tree is characterized by being planted where its roots go deep. Stability. Stop and think about what a human being would be like if they were like a tree planted by a stream of water. But when doubts come, when people challenge, when things aren't going well, Ashrei Haish, I stand firmly because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he will keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Solid, dependable, deeply rooted. I know who I am. And I know who my God is. It's a beautiful picture. And yields fruit in season. So it not only has stability, it has productivity. Yields fruit. It does what it was created to do. It, it, it's, it's no, you know, I've never seen a tree sweat. They don't have to work at this. It's part of this. It's what they do. And, and so a person who God has created with, with, with the fruit of the Spirit, This is the work of God working out through a person who is deeply rooted in his Torah, in his teachings. We meditate on it. It's part of our DNA. And we do what God created us to do. People created in his image. People with spiritual gifts. People can make a difference. Doing what God created us to do. His leaf does not wither. His stability Planted by a stream of water, 
productivity yields fruit in season. Consistency. Leaf does not wither. The psalmist could look across the, the, the landscape of the Judean desert and see a lot of brown, shriveled up trees in a time of drought. And suddenly, his eyes stop because here's a tree in the midst of all of the brown. This tree is green. It's fresh. It's got fruit on it. He goes over to inspect, and it's a tree planted by a stream of water. So even in the dry times, even in the hard times, even in the times when the tree wonders if it's going to survive, it survives. I don't know about you, but many of us, and me included, have ups and downs in life. The high times where I'm praising God and the low times where I'm struggling. And this is a person, yes, they have joys and depressions. And they have anger and they have peace. But there's a stability. There's a consistency. There's a straight line through life. Not immediately reacting to what happens next. Because there's a trust. There's a belief that somebody more powerful and smarter than me is in charge of all this. Ashrei Haish. Stability, productivity, consistency, and prosperity. Whatever she does prospers. So this person is able to get stuff done. As they look back over their life, they say, God used me. I did things that made a difference. There are people out there whose lives are better because they came in contact with me. There are organizations, people say, I'm not talking about me. There are organizations that exist because God gave me the ability to make money. Again, not talking about me. I have friends who give enormous amounts of money. That's their spiritual gift, is giving. And God is giving them the gift of getting. Just like my spiritual gift is teaching, God has given me the spiritual gift of learning. And so whatever God has placed you on earth to do, to have the stability to say, I know who I am. I know who God created me to be. To have a sense of productivity. I know what my gifts are. I know what my strengths are. I know what God wants me to do. I know who I am, and I know what God wants me to do. And I'm consistent at it. I don't just do it when I feel like it. I do it because it's God's mission for me. It's God's calling on my life. And I've developed that gift. Tom has a gift of music. But he spent a lot of hours cultivating that gift. And God has given you a gift. He's given you a place on earth. He's given you a mission in life. Oh, to be able to say, I know who I am, and I know what God has given me to do, and I'm consistent at it, I'm developing it, I'm working at it, and I can look back at my life and say, God has prospered my life. God has used me to do wonderful things. How happy 
How fulfilled, how contented is that person? They don't waste their life running after the counsel of the ungodly. They don't ruin their life walking in the path of sinners. They don't drive others away from their life by being a nasty, scornful, superior, I've got it all together, the rest of the world stinks kind of a person. But they delight in God's teaching because it teaches them how to have ashray. They're characterized by stability and productivity and consistency, prosperity. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Read the Psalms. Live them. 